0: All right, those of you that are staying in here, if you have your Bibles with you, which I hope you do, um, because again, I asked that question. um, You know, if you didn't bring your Bible with you this morning, where did you think you were going when you left the house? I hope not to Walmart. (laughs) All right, so please bring your Bibles when you come, it's so important. All right, we've been studying through the book of Philippians, we're in chapter 4. We're going to look at two verses today. In chapter 4, Paul has been uh, kind of going one right after another with one command after another after another, giving us instructions for life. And this morning, I want to look at two verses, and I want to talk to you about the fact that there is a battle for your mind. Now, I had not thought about this all week, but leave it to Tom to put something in my head right at the last moment. Uh, So this morning, after prayer time, he comes back to me after he reads the the name of the title, and he said, I saw the name of the title of your sermon. He said, have you ever wondered why anybody would want some of those minds? So, um, you know, so I didn't think about that this week, but there is the battle for your mind. And Paul addresses that here in these two verses. So let's honor the reading of the word of the Lord and stand as we read these verses today i uh, looking at uh, uh, Philippians chapter 4 and verses 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, and whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Father, thank you for this yet another uh, um, command from Paul to to the Philippian church, which uh, is for us today as much as it was for them. And Lord, we ask that, Father, that as we break into the, the word today to look at what you have for us, and Lord, to know that there is a battle for the minds of your children Lord, Father, uh, whether young or old, and Lord, we must do all that we can to protect our minds. So, Lord, would you move me out of the way, hide me behind the cross, let it not be my word, but your word spoken today as we look to how that we can prepare ourselves for this battle that is raging for our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. The great theologian Oswald Chambers wrote, Your mind is the greatest gift uh, God has given you and it ought to be devoted entirely to Him. You should seek to bring every thought into captivity to obedience of Christ and that is 2 Corinthians 10.5. This will be one of the greatest assets of our faith when a time of trials come because then your faith and the Spirit of God will work together. Whether the mind is the greatest gift of God or not, Uh, it is God's gift to us no matter what. Chambers' point here is this. Whatever is greatly valued by God is going to be greatly contested by Satan. Let me just say that again so that you all hear. Whatever it is that is highly or greatly valued by God is going to be greatly contested by Satan. So whether it's our mind, our body, our work, our love, whatever it is, whatever God loves, Satan hates. Uh, We can go so far as to say that the human mind is the ultimate battlefield for the spiritual warfare. Paul wrote in Ephesians 6 about this spiritual warfare and where, where it takes place is not with physical fighting but with spiritual fighting on our knees. Satan is more concerned about what we think and believe than about anything else in our lives. Jesus called Satan the father of lies in John chapter eight and verse 44, because his chief strategy is to deny, confuse, misrepresent and counterfeit whatever God has said. God's native language in John 17:17 17, 17 is that of truth, and Satan's native li- language is that of lies. The domain in which we decide what is true and what is false is in our minds. When it comes to the struggle over our minds, it is imperative that we remember the truth um, that, that comes from, our, uh, from 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. And it says this, The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Who, of course, is the wicked one? none other than Satan. However, we need to understand that Satan doesn't own this world, but he has access to it and everyone on it. His influence is found everywhere in government, education, entertainment, business, family, religious realms, in everything and in everywhere. The mind that knows no better will receive uh, what the world dispenses and believe that that's all there is, To know. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote these words here in Romans. He told the Romans, And do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is the only way to prove, he goes on to say in verse 2, what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. And it is also why Jesus said that we must love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. Another old-time preacher, Martin Luther, was quoted as saying, while you cannot prevent birds from flying over your heads, you can prevent them from building a nest in your hair. What did he mean? Simply... He meant that while we cannot control the thoughts that flow to and fro, we can absolutely control what we settle on. You will never have a joyful and enduring faith if you surrender the fight raging on the battlefield in your mind. Far too many Christians today have let the sinful birds lie in deceit and immorality and all other things build nest in their hair allowing the enemy to run rampant among their thoughts. The tragic result of this for many Christians is that we're living a miserable, resentful, bitter, ineffective, and unfruitful Christian life. And that is not what God has called us to. So you tell me today, if God is so much important with the thought of our mind, can we just say, it really shouldn't matter? It really doesn't matter? Let me just ask you the question today. How important is the mind that God has given you? Well, listen, I want to answer that question today. I want to begin by talking about the principles for safeguarding our minds. I want you to understand that God has has said that, that the very place of our mind is the place where we begin the process and we determine what we will think, how we will live, and how we will behave. In our strategy against the schemes of Satan, we must have a strategy to safeguard our minds. I want to give you six ways that you can begin the process of safeguarding your mind from the attack of Satan. First of all, protection begins with salvation. Now let me just remind you about what that means. Protection begins with salvation. The Bible calls, and Paul said in Ephesians 6:17, that we are to put on the helmet of salvation. The Bible reminds us that salvation is that place where God begins to restore and develop our minds for Him. It means your minds can be protected from the lies and influences of Satan. Not being saved means that not having the mind of Christ. If you and I do not have the mind of Christ, then we have the mind of Satan. The Bible is very clear that says that that we are one of two. We are either of our father, Satan, or our father, the Lord. If we have not been born again into his newness of life, We are still following after the God of this world, Satan. So we need first and foremost to make sure that our heart has been renewed by the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ and him alone. That, my friends, will safeguard our minds or begin the process of safeguarding our minds from the attack of Satan. The second uh, strategy that we need to have is prayer. Prayer is the path to peace of mind. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, we, we looked at this just a, a few weeks ago. When we submit every worry or matter of spiritual confusion to God in prayer, we can rest in His protection. Our hearts and minds are guided by the peace of God. The third is preparation. Preparation. Preparation is simply an action word that says that we can't do this passively. Listen, if you think that, that you can just sit by and all will be well, that you can take in all of the things of this world and, and, and it not affect you, you are living under the realm of Satan's lies. The reality is that we must be, uh, pre- uh, we must make preparations to prepare for that protection. Peter says it like this, we are to gird up our loins of our minds in 1 Peter 1.13. The, the action word there is that we must do it. It must be something that we consciously decide to make preparations for, that we're putting into action. It is a reference to an ancient military readiness. We prepare our minds for spiritual battle by renewing it daily through the study and the consideration of Scripture. Listen, I want to remind you that if you are in the world more than you are in the Word, you are not preparing your mind against the attacks of Satan. It is important for us to remember that we're in the world 24 hours a day, and we need to be in the Word as much as we can in order to overcome the influences of this world. My friends, if you're just carrying this book around, or if you just um, look at this book, it is not giving you the effects of spending time in this book. And then the fourth one is we have to have the preeminence of mind. Now what that means is that we need to set a, a, a preeminence or a place in our minds for God. If God is not first in our minds, if He is not the first place, if He is not the first thing that you think of when you get up in the morning, my friends, that is the very place that we must begin to confess. God, I should be thinking of you when I open my eyes in the morning. The last thing that we should be thinking of is what God has done to give us that day. So that in the beginning of a new day, if we should tarry, if God should allow us to awake, the very first thing on our mind should be to honor and glorify God. You want to start your day off right? Start it off with God. Give Him the preeminence of your mind. And and Paul said it like this, set your mind on the things above, not on things on the earth. In other words... The, the very first thing that we ought to be thinking of when we get up in the morning is that God was gracious enough to give us another day. It shouldn't be that we start thinking about everything that we've got to do today. Now, I know we've got to think about those things. But we've got to give God the preeminence. We've got to give Him the first place. We've got to say, God, before I begin the day that I have today, today I want to begin my day with You. And may that be the desire of our heart. Yes, we must give thought to the life of this earth, but our minds cannot be set primarily on the things of the earth as our source of value, fulfillment, or truth, but upon Him. And then number five, position our minds. means place of mind, the preem- or the permanent focus of our mind. And, and Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 says this, You will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed... On you, because he trusts in you. Isaiah reminds us that when we trust in the Lord, when we keep our minds stayed on him, we will be living in perfect peace. Everybody trusts in something. You didn't come in and sit down today in that pew in which you're sitting without first trusting that it was going to hold you up. So we're all trusting in something every day. Who are we trusting in to protect our mind? But only the mind's position towards God has perfect peace. Number six, we have to have a process. We have to have a process for the strategy of, of guarding our mind. This refers to being clear-minded. Again, Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 7, that we must have this clear-mindedness. We must have a biblical biblical Girding up through which we possess and evaluate everything we take in and from every source. We must funnel it through, allowing nothing to find permanent place in our mind that does not square up with God's Word in terms of purity, importance, truth, and education. Or edification, sorry. The mind games that Satan is playing in us and on us are deadly serious. Let me tell you something. From young people to senior adults, Satan is constantly playing with our minds. Many of us are struggling with, with the lies of this world, trying to determine how they affect us and if they affect us and if they're true and, and, and if what we've been taught all of our life is right or wrong. Let me remind you of something. Whatever the world tells us that is contrary to what the Word tells us, it is wrong. It is wrong. The mind games Satan plays on us are deadly serious. Take a moment every morning and decide to dedicate your mind to God for His glory so that you can implement these six strategies to safeguard your mind every day. God says it's so important that we make sure that that we are taking care of our mind. The Apostle Paul here in Philippians reminds us of how important it is. So now I want to go back to what the Apostle Paul said. And in verse 8, he gives us a pattern for right thinking. Paul gives us eight things that that we need to, to, to consider Make no mistake, there is no enduring change in life. There is no meaningful, Christ-exalting, sin-killing, sanctification apart from the transformation of how you think. Your mind matters. In fact, it matters eternally. So Paul thought of these eight virtues and says, these are the things that we ought to be focusing on our minds. Now, there's a word that is repeated over and over again in Paul's command. And I want you to catch it. I want you to kind of be familiar with it. It depends on what Bible you're reading from. The King James says whatsoever. It could be whatever. The the repetition of the word whatsoever or whatever all through verse 8 is designed to impress upon our heart the comprehensive scope of these virtues in terms of how they are to impact not just our mind, but our entire life and how we live. You see, what we think determines how we live. It determines how we behave, how we interact, how we love one another, how we deal with one another. How we think focuses everything else on how life is lived. Don't think of these as simply general principles, but rather bear in mind moment by moment that a life of truth and purity and excellence is made up of daily, indeed hourly, acts of characterizing these virtues in our minds. So let's go down through very quickly these eight. I want to just give you a little bit of truth about each of them as we go through them. The first one we find in verse 8 is whatsoever is true. Now, I, I, I really wanted to, to, to hammer in on here. I wanted to spend a lot of time because we're living in a world where truth is no longer truth. Truth is relative. Truth is whatever we make it feel like. But can I just simply remind you as I begin so that you understand where I'm coming from, I don't believe truth is relative. I believe truth is right here truth is in the person of jesus christ what he did what he said and what he means and the world around us though it does not believe does not make his truth any less the truth it is the only truth so let me just kind of say truth is whatever conforms to the gospel and the revelation of god's will in his word Notice I didn't say anything about this world. I said His Word. All right? So we need to recognize that truth is whatever conforms to the object of reality from His Word. Sadly, increasing numbers of people, even in and out of the church, have been drawn to outlandish notions that there is no objective or universal truth anymore. That there are many truths... As there are to each individual subject is true to them. Paul's exhortation is that we are to think and meditate on the truth. with regard to God, man, church, the world, sin, redemption, relationship, and on and on. It must compare to and through the word of truth, not the word of the world. The world of the world says today that truth is relative. It changes as, as time changes. Now, can I tell you that truth is truth and it always will be truth? No matter how they rewrite it, it's still the truth is the truth. And they can call it a truth, but Satan reminds us exactly by his nature what it is, a lie. Only God can speak the truth. God always speaks the truth. And so when God speaks, it is always true. And when Satan speaks, it is always a lie. So the second thing the apostle Paul tells us is whatever soever is honorable whatsoever is honorable by this word he has in mind whatever is sublime is dignified is majestic whatever evokes respect and reverence he says that we ought to have a lofty and majestic thinking things as, as oh, that are over and above the vulgar and crude and and and, and trivial things of this world. Christianity should never lead to embrace mediocrity or sloppiness or vulgarity or crudeness. Rather in our speech, our acceptance or our appearance, our activities or our productivity. He has in view things that lift the mind rather than drag it through the gutter. God is reminding us all oh, that, that we, our minds ought to be lifted up high above the things of this world. When we think of truth, it ought to elevate our mind and our thinking, not lower it. You see, when we think of the things of the world, it always lowers our thinking. Brings us down to the, the muck and the mire. And number three, he says, whatsoever is just... That is to say, whatever is in accord with divine standards of right and wrong. Again, we live in a day when such notions that there is an ultimate righteousness, an ultimate right or wrong. You know, it's amazing to me that there are those who will say that right and wrong is is based upon how it makes me feel. But yet, I love to do that illustration where I, I tell someone, you know, if it's okay to take something from somebody else that's not yours, and that's okay because you believe it's okay. But how do you feel when they take something of yours? Is that still okay? You see, when, when the... Cards are turned, a table is turned. It's amazing how their thinking changes. Wait a minute, that's not right. That's not fair. Well, it is according to your relative belief. You see, but when it's based upon the truth, the truth that is just, that says that there is absolutely a standard of right and wrong. Just because we live in a world that has made right and wrong seem as though they are both the same, God's word reminds us that it is not. An eternal and unchanging justice is simply ignored or perhaps even mocked today so that they can get their theory to sound right in the midst of God's theory Of truth. Number four, whatsoever is pure. The word pure is often used in the New Testament and can mean to be chaste, innocent, or morally pure and upright. Paul probably has in mind the purity of thought and deed and words, as well as he is addressed over and over again in other of his writings, sexual purity. Listen my friends, Turn on your news. Look at what's being propagated in our world today. The the reality that the sexual purity is no longer a necessity. That we can be anything that we want to be, do anything we want to be, and we can uh, behave any way that we want to behave. You see... Let me just make something clear. You cannot blame the world for believing that. The world is simply doing what their nature is. But we ought to blame the church if we believe that. Every Christian needs to stand on the moral values that God says that that is not the case. We were uniquely and wonderfully created, either male or female, and we were created that from the moment of our creation and into birth, and it should never be changed. Now, I'm probably going to get some flack over that from the world, but I don't care. The reality is, God has said that we are uniquely and wonderfully made. We need to recognize that truth. And so it is that when he talks about purity and chasteness, how that we ought to live, the problem is that we have allowed the world to creep into the church instead of the church creeping out into the world. The problem is that we're not living the standards in which God has called us to live. So the world around us is saying, you claim to be different, but you're living no different. Why should I make a change of my life when you are not changing yours? Purity is so important, my friends. And we are are losing the battle for the minds of our children because we, the church, are not living the standard in which God has called us to. He's calling us to fix our thoughts on those things which are untainted by the evil or moral corruption of this world. lacking the defect and are morally blameless. My friends, we need a standard of moral living. The church needs to set the standard and we need to rise to it that God has set for us. Moving along, Paul says also what is lovely. Here he focuses on whatever calls forth or evokes love and admiration and is pleasing or agreeable to the heart. Whatever stirs the affections and awakens the pleasures in accordance with righteousness. These are the sorts of things that we are endearing. It focuses on what is recognized by the world at large as admirable. It could be as simple as a symphony of Beethoven or or a charitable deed done by someone in the name of Christ. The Apostle Paul says that we ought to think upon those things that are lovely. You know, instead of trying to tick off our neighbors, (laughs) he's saying we ought to to, to make sure that what we're trying to do is is show them the love of Christ. Instead of trying to, to up one, we ought to be surrendering ourselves to one. You see, what the Apostle Paul wants us to see is whatever is lovely, focus on those things that evoke love and admiration among one another. And then number six, whatsoever is commendable. Now this is an action word or statement that he says here. That is to say, whatever is worthy of good report, praiseworthy, appealing, whatsoever is worthy, and avoids giving offense, these are the things that we ought to focus on. He has in mind those things which on being seen or heard or encountered lead anyone and everyone to explain, explain. Well done. What a good job. He's talking about deeds and thoughts that by their very nature move people to admiration and and praise. Listen. Is the behavior of your life such that people are saying, wow, that's pretty cool. Wow, good job. You know, we need more people like that. Listen, what the Apostle Paul is saying is that, that whatsoever is commendable, whatsoever is honorable in the sense that others around us will see Christ in us. We were talking about this in Sunday school. About that we ought to be working and living our lives at our employment such that others would see Jesus in us. But it's not just there. It's everywhere. We ought to be living our lives so that others are saying, I don't know what's different about you, but I see something in you that I don't see in a lot of other people. We ought to let the love of Christ shine. I read a story. I wasn't going to share this story, but it just came to my mind, so I'm going to share it with you. This family was driving home from church one Sunday afternoon, and a little girl in the back seat of the car said, Mommy, something the preacher said confused me today. She said, Honey, what was it the preacher said to confuse you? She said, Mommy, the preacher said that God is bigger than all of us. Is that right? Yes, honey, God is bigger than all of us. Mommy, the the, the preacher said that God lives in all of us that are born again. Is that right? Yes, honey. Everyone that's born again, God lives inside them. Well, mommy, if, if God is bigger than all of us and God lives inside of us, then shouldn't he be bursting out of us? Hmm. I read that this week and I thought, well, I just didn't have a spot for it. And it just came to me, the spot for it. Shouldn't it be bursting out of all of us? Shouldn't it be that that the people around us say, you know what? I see something in you that I don't see in others. I see Christ. And number seven, he says, if there's any excellence. Too many Christians settle for mediocrity. They're okay with just getting by. Too many of us are saying, well, if I can just get into heaven, it don't matter. I can get in by the skin of my teeth. As long as I make it, I'm okay. Listen, if we're living that kind of life, we're missing out on the best part of life. See, Jesus never called us just to get in. He called us to live and work so that when we get there, we will, we will receive the reward of a faithful and well-done person. Too many of us, good enough is our mantra. But God calls us not to good enough, but he calls us to excel in all that we do. Within our power and by his grace to pursue the uh, and produce the very best of what we can in life. There's a huge difference between excellence and professionalism. I want to just explain that just for a moment. Excellence is doing everything to the best of one's ability to enable, uh, as enabled by God in such a way that there is no way that it can be distracted by or tempted to be credited to anyone except for God. Professionalism and performance are man-created and are concerned with drawing attention to us. Look at what I did. Look at how well I did. Look at my awards. Look at my certificates. The pursuit of excellence should direct our attention towards God, not towards us. Who gets the credit? Who gets the glory? Does God get the credit? Or do you get the glory? And number eight, if there is anything worthy of praise... By this, I think he simply means the sort of conduct that wins the affection and admonition of the others, even not the I told my Sunday school class this morning, we were talking of Titus chapter two about working in the workplace, that the purpose that we ought to go to work every day and work well and do all those things is not so that we can make good money and, and live well, but so that we ought to ex- express the to share the gospel that even if we don't get to use words we get to live it out before others you see the reality is that we ought to be living a life worthy of praise You want? it never hurts to have somebody pat you on the back Never hurt to hear somebody say, what a good job. But you want to know the truth? I'm much more interested in God doing that than you do that. I want to know that when I get there, I will have lived my life worthy of His praise, of His excellence. And then lastly, I want to share with you a practice of right thinking which leads to right living. There's a battle for the mind, not just of our children, but there is a battle raging for the mind of our children. You know, from from Hitler uh, who said, Give me your children and I will raise up a nation. To others who have said, All we've got to do is, is start young and we can train them to be whatever we want them to be. There is a battle for the minds of every Christian. And we must make sure that we have the right practice in the way we're thinking so that it will end in right living. Look at verse 9 very quickly as we wrap this up. And, and in verse 9, he, he says, These things which you have both learned, received, and heard, and seen in me do and the God of peace shall be with you. Paul puts forth this list, and then he comes with this command. Whatever you have learned, whatever you have received, whatever you have heard, whatever you have seen practice these things, put them to work. Be like the physician who practices medicine Constantly applying all that he's learned in medical school. Be like the lawyer who practices law, consistently applying all that he learned during his law school. May practice make one perfect. What is our responsibility? Is it simply just to think? No. It's beyond that. It's not simply just to think on things, to reflect upon things, to ponder or to meditate on them. It is far more than that. He says, don't just think about these things, apply them. Do them. Translate biblical principle into biblical practice. Paul wrote, The things which you have learned to receive and heard, seen in me, listen, do. You hear the command? Do it. James said it like this, don't be just hearers of the word, deceiving yourself, but be doers of the word. That which you have heard, that which you have seen, that which you have experienced, go out and do it for yourself. Why? Why? because our minds are constantly thinking about something and left to our own devices usually something that makes us worry or anxious our heavenly father knows this and he gives us the command to take every one of those thoughts into captivity into obedience of Christ put this truth into practice again why also because When you do these things, God makes you a promise. Verse 7 contains a similar promise of peace as well. When worry comes into the heart and you pray to God, the promise is that the peace of God which surpasses in all comprehensions will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And at a first glance, we would say, well, that's just, he's just repeating the same promise. I want you to look at verse 9 again with me. I want you to see the difference here. When we look deep into what verse 9 is saying, he's not saying the same thing. He's not saying that, that, that the peace of God will uh, surpass in comprehension and guard your heart and mind. But what he does say is the God of peace will be with you. You see, it's one thing to have the peace of God in our life, and we all want the peace of God, and we need the peace of God in our life. But listen, my friends, I would rather have the God of peace than the peace of God just in my life. And that's what the Apostle Paul says here. He says, listen, when you put these to practice, God is going to be with you. He's going to be in you. He's going to go with you. He's going to be living through you. He's going to be speaking through you. That's far greater than just having a peace that says, well, I don't have to worry about that anymore. Shoot, I can go on to do whatever I want. No, it says, I know that I can go wherever I need to go because he always goes with me. So let me close with this. When you put into practice what the Apostle Paul has said, when you demonstrate your faith and trust in Jesus Christ by living this way, It makes a difference. Let me remind you that you will never have a joyful, enduring faith if you surrender the fight raging in the battlefield of your mind. If you allow the enemy to run rampant among your thoughts, you will be among the miserable, resentful, bitter, ineffective, and unfruitful Christians there are. Remember what Martin Luther said. We can't prevent the bird from flying over our heads. But we absolutely have the control about not letting the build nest and air. Now, they don't worry about that with me. <laughs> okay? But listen, Satan is going to throw thoughts through your mind. And as a matter of fact, he's probably doing it right now. He's probably doing it. I wish this guy would shut up and so we can get out of here. But you don't don't be taking that one. You cast that one right out. We're going to stay as long as we need to. You see, the reality is that it is always, always throwing thoughts at us. But which ones are we holding on to? You know that you can cast away those thoughts? Thoughts not turning to God, and it will go away away from me satan and all your foolishness and god promises to do every one of us has a precious mind a precious gift from god that he wants not to be corrupted by the things of the world but he wants them to be built upon the things of this world that we can go out into a world that is is far from God we can stand strong on the truths of God. May the reality of God's blessing be upon your heart and mind. And may not just the peace of God go with you, but may the God of peace walk with you. Oh, my friends, what a difference we can make in the world around us if we go with the God of peace walking with us. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Folks, are we going to play some soft music back there in the sound room, please? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to just take a moment while you're sitting I want you to just think about how serious this subject of the battle for your mind really is. Satan wants you to think that we can go along with what the world is thinking. That we don't have to to stand up for what we know is right, but we can compromise to what the world is proclaiming. I tell you, God says to allow the mind to be focused on Him. Father, I pray that each and every one that is in this room today, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would fall upon them and speak to them, them. I pray that they would understand me. Must take captive thought that comes through. We must keep that which is wholesome and get rid of that which is good. Lord, help us as adults to realize that if Satan is sure. something that you need to do this morning if there's a decision that you need to make the altar is open if you need to come and pray perhaps you're struggling with those thoughts and those things and you